culture to politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. It is a great day because the Congress just voted the House of Representatives to uh, keep the government open. Probably a step in the midst of a devastating hurricane with all kinds of damage and uh, but not an ideal time, especially with the looming economic collapse of the government to close it down right now, which actually costs money. It doesn't save the taxpayer money. It costs money because of all the extra payments you have to make up and the, uh, uh, the stall in paying bills and more. We will cover that story. We'll also cover a tax that may be the dumbest tax you've heard about recently. It's a voluntary tax that the members of a Wisconsin church are putting on themselves a voluntary tax to make up for mistreatment of Native Americans a uh, hundred years ago. And yes, they would claim up to the present day. We will get to that. We will get to the argument that uh, Biden's student debt plan is not only idiotic, which it is, and most people in America, uh, left, right, and center, believe that it is. Don't think it's a good idea. But aside from its political ramifications, it may be illegal. It's being challenged by six attorneys general. Yes, all Republicans. Henry Olson of the Ethics and Public Policy Center joins us later in the show to tell us why he believes that it is likely in court that the bill will be defeated, thereby saving the American taxpayer, believe it or not, $420 billion. Uh, and uh, the pro-Russian authorities have now concluded their referendums in four regions of the Ukraine. They're getting ready to have the big rally over the weekend to celebrate this great patriotic victory. But... Uh, Reporters, and several of them on the ground in Russia talking to people, are talking about why this gigantic rally and this whole desperate move are indications not of strength, but of Putin's abiding and critical and very dangerous weakness, actually. Speaking of dangerous, uh, we had been hearing for a while about how things were supposed to be moving back toward Democrats, or at least to political balance. Well, hold your horses. There are now political prognosticators from the left and the right who are both saying that uh, it's going to be a big Republican year, just as people have been saying since before the midterm campaigns even started. Why? Because generally... When there's a new president who comes to power, he loses seats in the Congress, an average of 28 seats in the House. That's the average since 1934. 1934 is when to make a bold prediction uh, for Republicans in the midterms, a prediction delivered on a uh, very comfortable setting for Newt Gingrich of Fox News. Uh, listen, this is clip 10. 
three free newsletters a week at Gingrich 360. I did one on the long-term structural analysis of the election. Uh, the two most successful models that use historic data predict, both of them came in about the same number. They predict 44 to 46 seat gained by the Republicans in the House. Uh, I also just did one this last week, analyzing the polling numbers. <clears throat> Remember, the Democrats in places like California get such huge margins that if you see a generic ballot nationwide that's, let's say, the most recent one was three or four points Republican, that means when you get out of California, the Republican yeah. generic advantage is enormous. And in fact, in the swing states, even the Washington Post last week reported that Republicans are ahead something like 57 to 35 in the swing districts. Plus three to plus seven on the Senate, plus 20 to plus 50 in the House. Okay, I think that's overly optimistic. Uh, I do. When you look at a lot of the other prognostications, they clearly all show a Republican takeover of the House. That everyone seems to agree with. But uh, he suggests that the margin could be between 20 and 50. I think most people are saying it will be closer to 20. But that's plenty. All the Republicans need is a gain of five House seats. And if they're getting 20, then they have a bigger margin in controlling the House than the Democrats do today. Uh, there is another piece, and this is from 538. By, that's Nate Silver, uh, which does all kinds of computer simulations. They basically play out the election. They program it out, and uh, they, they do that with a whole series of variables. And basically, uh, they came up with this after this analysis and running these various programs. This week, the case for a GOP rebound is a little better. For one, Democrat, uh, Republicans can cite some individual polls that have been favorable for them. There was a poll this weekend from ABC News and the Washington Post which found Republicans five points ahead on the generic congressional ballot among likely voters, a result which would all but assure the GOP of winning the House and make the Senate a very much an uphill battle for Democrats. If they do have that margin... The reason that, that that margin is so favorable for Republicans is very much as Speaker Gingrich just said, that the Democrats are concentrated, heavily concentrated. When you look at a national poll, it's covering all 50 states. And the Democrats are not spread across the country as advantageously as Republicans are. They're deeply concentrated in Massachusetts, in California, uh, in New York State, in Illinois, and they're going to win there by huge margins. There really aren't competitive Senate races there. But then when you get to competitive races, take away the advantage for California. What all of this goes to is when President Trump won the election in 2016. No, he didn't win in 2020, but he did win in 2016. But he lost the popular vote by three million. How did that happen? because his margin of defeat in California was three million. If you leave California out of the equation, uh, Trump actually just about tied in the popular vote. If you take out California and New York, and I know that's not fair, you have to then take out Texas and Florida for the Republicans. The fact is that Texas and Florida are more competitive 
uh, though they lean heavily Republican, than places like California, New York, Massachusetts. So with all of this going on, there are more reasons. There are actually five reasons that Nate Silver and 538 give why Democrats should still be concerned about the midterms and why big Democratic victories are unlikely. In fact, what is more likely, according to 538, is that the Democrats have a slight advantage, a chance to gain the Senate. What I do think, if for Newt Gingrich to suggest that the Republicans will gain at least three seats in the Senate, that is also assuming, presumably, that they don't lose some seats, which they almost surely will. But on balance, could they gain one, two, three seats for control? Possible. We'll talk about what that possibility rests on and some of the latest polling and updates on the election and uh, what it means that the government's going to keep running at least till December 16th. Coming up on the Medved Show. Show. 1-800-955-1776. 1-800-955-1776. This is the Michael Medved Show. And if you have strong feelings about uh, the elections coming up, either in your state, wherever you happen to live, uh, certainly in Washington state, we have a uh, an exciting and very competitive Senate race, which is kind of a novelty. Uh, there are some polls that show Tiffany Smiley, the Republican uh, nominee for the Senate, uh, running within two points. That's in the margin of error against Patty Murray, who is running for her Countum sixth term. Uh, she has been there since 1992. Uh, that's a a very long time in the U.S. Senate for Patty Murray, who has never struck anybody as a burning pyre of charisma or energy. Uh, she is a, a standard uh, liberal Democrat and uh, one who uh, has sort of worked her way up because she's been there for such, such a long time into the Democratic Party leadership. Uh, she didn't win by that much last time, six years ago. She won by five points. And this time it's much more competitive. How do we know? There's a piece by Kimberly Strassel in the Wall Street Journal today, and it's about the Murray campaign of the incumbent senator complaining because there were some very effective TV ads. We played part of one of them on, on this show. Uh, there were ads that were put together by her opponent, Tiffany Smiley, that at one time used a closed-down Starbucks storefront. The Starbucks had closed down because the area had become unsafe. And yes, it was right here in Seattle. And uh, she also used a headline from the Seattle Times. And uh, all of this was done without authorization. And the Seattle Times and Starbucks and the Seattle Seahawks 
were and, and no, she's not blaming Patty Murray for the Seahawks. Patty Murray is not responsible, but the uh, Seahawks were upset because they thought it implied that somehow the P Seahawks were taking a, a chance on endorsing a Republican candidate. Okay, the Seattle Times, Starbucks, and the Seahawks, big corporations up here in the Northwest, are not in fact taking a position for Tiffany Smiley, but she didn't imply that they did. And uh, their back and forth, legal back and forth, with the demands that these ads be recut, and some of them have been recut and blurred, so you can't recognize the Starbucks logo, logo so clearly. The fact that uh, they're worried enough about this kind of stuff, that they think that uh, going back and slamming the TV ads that uh, Tiffany Smiley has been able to run, that's been part of the surprise of her campaign. She has little political experience. She's a nurse. She's been an activist for veterans' rights. And uh, that is actually a, uh, it's a very dramatic thing that she has been able to raise enough money to make this race that competitive. And uh, I, Patty Murray, when she started out, she wasn't a nurse. She had been, I guess you could say it's a better qualification for being part of the state legislature. I believe she was a preschool teacher. And I know she was some kind of, I, I believe, a, a unlicensed teacher in some form. And she was the mom in tennis shoes. That was her her basic uh, description that got her elected and re-elected and re-elected. This time I think it's going to be different because there is such a sense that things have been going wrong in Seattle. We elected Ann Davison, a Republican, as city attorney. That was a miracle. That was in the very last election. And anyone who lives up here cannot be happy with the way things have been going. Uh, with increases in crime, with homelessness and deterioration of the environment. We talk about it all the time. Now, is Senator Murray responsible for that? Well, she's responsible for not doing anything meaningful about it and using her seniority and her influence to try to address some of these profound problems that people in Seattle are experiencing in terms of a deterioration of a way of life around us. This is why Tiffany Smiley has a chance. She's not going to win a majority in Seattle. No Republican can. I mean, this is a city where uh, Joe Biden, uh, for all of his charisma and dynamism, uh, Joe Biden won over 80 percent of the vote. Come on. I mean, it's Seattle. However, a Republican who wins 40 percent of the vote in Seattle, which ought to be possible for Tiffany Smiley, uh, that that should be enough to win this election. Going back to Nate Silver on 538, who is a, uh, a computer geek and who uses his, his computer skills pretty well. He was not embarrassingly wrong, as many of his colleagues were, about the outcome of the election of 2020. If you believe that Trump actually won the election, well then then, of course, <laughs> he he was wrong. But if you believe that actually Biden did win the election, though Trump had a strong fight and a strong showing, et cetera, et cetera, then that was exactly what uh, Nate Silver in 538 had predicted. 
He's talking about the five reasons that he thinks that Republicans uh, should continue to be favorites for uh, winning at least the House and perhaps the Senate as well. He um, he points out that uh, that five point advantage on a generic ballot, according to a poll that was just done by ABC News and the Washington Post, that advantage for Republicans is extremely telling. It's why in their computer workouts for the House, they ran a hundred trial heats with different variables. And on average, Republicans uh, won, they, they won 68 out of 100 of those contests in, for control of the House. First of all, the first reason that Republicans are likely to win, says Nate Silver, is the opposition party, which of course in this case is the Republicans, has a long history of doing well in the midterms. It's one of the most robust trends in American politics. There are very few exceptions. And then, though his numbers have improved recently, Nate Silver points out President Biden remains fairly unpopular with an approval rating of only 42%, which is the same kind of approval rating that Barack Obama had when he lost, are you ready? He lost 63 seats in 2010. And remember, Barack Obama had been elected as the candidate of hope and change, and people were so tearful, and it was such a historic event because we had finally elected the first non-white president. So what does it all mean? And what does it mean that Americans say they're unhappy about the direction of the country and then the structural advantages for competing for the Senate? We'll get to all of that coming in on The Michael Medved Show. Should America handle threats against democracy? That was a question uh, that was put to a very prominent Democrat who answered by winning elections. Who said that? We will get to that coming up on the Michael Medved Show. Let's first go to Kevin uh, calling in from Spokane, Washington. Kevin, you're on the Medved Show. Hi, Michael. Hey. Hey, um Ever since uh, the president's last, uh, you know, senior moment, when he for- forgot the uh, uh, Jackie uh, uh, Walorski. I'm having a senior moment Wal- too. Walorski uh, was her name, and she's not alive. Away. But you remember that she's not alive. Right. <laughs> yes, I. Well, I, I was. <laughs> yes. Now that uh, that whole thing going down. But anyway, there's more talk about um, having uh, President Biden leave. But then there's always the question that comes up. A thing I like to call, what do you, how do you solve a problem like Kamala? We don't want her to be president. Well, the answer is simple. She resigns first. Just pick a reason, any reason, and then the president uh, finds a replacement, picks someone, and then the president resigns. Then his replace, uh, the vice president replacement comes in as president, and then he picks what will essentially be the 2024 ticket. What do you think? Have you heard people talking about this? Yeah, people talk about 
all of this stuff, and uh, I don't think any of it is real, Kevin. Let me tell you why. Uh, the entire idea, which is not a bad idea for Democrats, uh, because uh, it's who knows what happens if Biden simply decides not to run. The idea of him installing a uh, a vice president who actually could be a successful replacement, and no, I don't think that Kamala Harris could, uh, but it all depends on one thing, which is that Kamala Harris would be willing to resign. And why should she? And why would she? There is nothing about her life and her very strong driving ambition and her very aggressive political com career that makes me believe for a moment that she would willingly step aside uh, because most uh, Democratic leaders recognize she's a loser if she's nominated for president. So what makes you think that, that it's even vaguely possible that Kamala Harris would want to resign? Well, uh, I understand that this would be a, a rather unconventional, uh, peaceful transfer of power. But uh, wouldn't she, she couldn't be talked into it? You don't think she could be talked into it? <laughs> you take one for the team. Come on, come on, right, brother? We, hey, we, we, right. Um, you know, there, there, there aren't team. there aren't many politicians, not many on either side, who are ready to uh, take one for the team. Uh, especially if they f are feeling that the team is uh, betraying them. Look, one of the, the reasons uh, it's also, e even if Biden runs, and a number of Republican observers have, have made this point, that Biden could strengthen his chances if he did want to run again by getting a more effective vice presidential candidate. And there are all kinds of names you can think of who would uh, uh, be more dynamic and more appealing than Kamala Harris. However, she is the first uh, person of color ever to serve as vice president. And I know people say Charles Curtis, who was a vice president for President Hoover, was uh, a Native American. He was one very small part Native American. He was Native American like Elizabeth Warren was. But in any event, uh, it, it's very unlikely, given her historic status as the first female to uh, win as part of a national ticket and the first woman of color or person of color to uh, hold the vice presidency. I think uh, Kamala Harris is going to be very, very tough uh, to get rid of in the position that she's holding. She would have to be beaten in some kind of primary, and we don't offer primaries for the office of vice president. No, uh, no, no, no. <laughs> Kevin, I appreciate your call, and I appreciate your thoughts. I also don't think that as embarrassing and sad, actually, as that uh, Wolarski issue was with President Biden, uh, I don't think anyone should be expecting that uh, even after his 80th birthday, which is coming in November, right after the election, I, I don't think it's at all likely that President Biden would resign. The idea that he would uh, choose not to run for re-election, yes, I think that's likely. But resigning from office, no. An email also came in. This came from Keith uh, over in Oklahoma. And uh, 
he asked the question, since when has it been a problem for the government to spend money rather than save it? The shutdown means nothing. And uh, when has it been a problem for the government to spend money rather than save it? There's no saving of money that's associated with a shutdown. It just means a delay. And uh, because the government's still operating, no, no one is expecting that they're going to stop uh, sending out your Social Security checks or they're going to stop providing the, the lunches. What they might do to inflict pain is closing national parks, for instance, uh, which is idiotic. And uh, and again, then you have to spend more money to make up for the maintenance that you didn't take care of while the shutdown was going on. I, the history of shutdowns, shutdowns have never, repeat, never worked. They always hurt the party that is considered more responsible. And concerning the uh, shutdown that... Uh, just didn't occur. It didn't occur because uh, the deadline was tonight at midnight and President Biden is going to get around to signing this uh, basically stopgap bill uh, before uh, the midnight deadline. But uh, one of the things that is is very clear is that it is not a popular thing to suggest, particularly at a time of uh, extreme concern about the hurricanes that are going on, and Hurricane Ian in in Florida. The uh, the idea of uh, shutting down the government not such a great thing. Uh, averting a government shutdown was the final goal for the Democrats to complete before leaving Washington for the final sprint to the midterm elections, says Washington Post. Failure to pass a funding bill would be an embarrassment for the party that controls both chambers and the presidency. Democrats have campaign campaigned on their ability to govern. Uh, and uh, now, well, they had a chance to show some ability. The Friday today, they passed legislation to fund the government and avert the partial shutdown, sending it to President Biden for his signature just hours before the midnight deadline. The continuing resolution extends current funding levels unchanged until December 16th, while also approving $12.4 billion in military and diplomatic spending to help Ukraine in its war against Russia. It also contains $18.8 billion for domestic disaster relief efforts, including western wildfires, floods in Kentucky, and hurricanes in the southeast. Uh, Ian is now heading, apparently, or the impact for South Carolina. The House vote was close. It was 230 to 201, with 10 Republicans, it says in the Washington Post, breaking ranks to support the legislation. The Senate bill passed. Uh, the Senate passed the bill 72 to 25 on Thursday. Isn't it odd to say breaking ranks? Why should there be any ranks on behalf of Republicans to shut down the government, especially when Republicans would have been blamed for it? Congratulations to the 10 Republicans who had the good sense not to go for that idiotic strategy, which again has always been a disaster. We'll be right back on the Medved Show.
Michael Medved Show. We've been talking a lot this hour about a uh, very encouraging for Republicans uh, issue of 538, which is uh, election analysis, polling analysis, putting all the information from all the different polls into the blender and turning the crank and uh, coming out with what they believe will be a narrow Republican victory for the House winning maybe 20 seats and a very narrow Democratic victory winning maybe one or two seats net in the Senate. Now, uh, the reasons that the Democrats should still be concerned about the Republicans and Republican likelihood of winning, uh, number one, the opposition party has a long history of doing well in the midterms. This is a midterm and as uh, Nate Silver points out, it's one of the most robust trends in American politics. In other words, it's almost always the case. It's very, very rare. It is more rare for an incumbent president to lose than it is for the incumbent party to lose seats in the midterms. In other words, the losing seats in the midterms almost always happens. The uh, incumbent uh, actually winning re-election happens about two out of three times. It happens frequently. I mean, you just look recently, you can see that uh, Bill Clinton got re-elected and, um, and uh, George W. Bush got re-elected and Barack Obama got re-elected. Uh, Jimmy Carter didn't and uh, George Herbert Walker Bush didn't and Donald Trump didn't. In any event, um, the other factors, Americans remain quite unhappy about the direction of the country, which tends to hurt the incumbent party, obviously. And Republicans have a big structural advantage in the Senate, given that they do well with white rural voters. And white rural voters are considerably overrepresented in the Senate relative to their overall share of the U.S. population. Uh, that's because we have a bunch of states that don't have big metropolitan areas. I mean, if you're looking at North Dakota, it's Fargo is the biggest city in North Dakota. Uh, what's the biggest city in Vermont? It's Burlington, where Bernie Sanders used to be mayor. Vermont could be one of the very few overwhelmingly rural, non-urban states that the Democrats absolutely dominate, and that's a complicated issue. And it, it goes to their general domination of uh, the five states in New England. Okay, uh, one of the, the issues that came up here was about Kamala Harris resigning. And the caller from Spokane was right that if she resigned as vice president, then uh, it's possible Joe Biden could pick anyone he wanted. Uh, to be the new vice president that would just have to be approved by the Senate. And um, he could pick uh, Michelle Obama, who would actually be, he could pick Oprah if he wanted. There's uh, anyone is available just so long as they are confirmable. And, uh, and, and then uh, he has a successor, whether or not he resigns, if he doesn't run for reelection, the Democrats have a marching orders. Yeah, it's by the way, it would be conceivable if Kamala Harris resigned as vice president that uh, Biden could.
pick Gavin Newsom, anybody. Uh, Gretchen Whitmer, the governor of Michigan, who's considered a possibility for the presidency at some point. I don't know why. Uh, Look, none of this is going to happen because Harris is not going to resign. Uh, Because she is making her own gaffes and she doesn't have the excuse of being 80 years old. Biden turns 80 in November. There's uh, Ronnie Cheng uh, had a particularly funny take on Kamala Harris talking about our profound and great and lasting and important alliance with North Korea. No, she really did say that uh, when she was touring the demilitarized zone in uh, North Korea. I mean, between North Korea and South Korea. Uh, here is what Ronnie Chiang had to say about her, her gaffe. This is clip three. Uh, the vice president was here to strengthen America's alliance with South Korea uh, against North Korea. And let's just see how that went. An embarrassing gaffe by Vice President Harris today when she affirmed America's alliance with the wrong Korea. So the United States shares a very important relationship, which is an alliance with the Republic of North Korea. And it is an alliance that is strong and enduring. Wow. Wow. You think North Korea is South Korea? So I guess all Asian countries look the same to you, huh? (laughs) Madam Vice President, what's next? You're going to mix me up with Simu Liu, huh? (laughs) Seriously, can can you? Could could you do that, please? Because I I would totally be fine with that. (laughs) No, 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 I'm just joking. I'm just joking. We're just joking. Everyone, we're just joking, okay, Madam Vice President? Nobody give her a hard time about this or we won't see her again for another six months. Uh, yes, that would actually be something of a blessing. Uh, here, Kamala Harris at the DMC, DMZ, the Demilitarized Zone in Korea that was established when Eisenhower made peace in Korea in 1953. In any event, uh, here she is at the DMZ asking men in uh, the military the important and highly relevant questions uh, about their posting right between South and North Korea. This is clip 11. Have you seen the photographs from the Red Telescope? It's humbling. So we invested in this telescope and the images just came back and they show us three billion years back to the beginning to all these galaxies. It's the most humbling thing you have ever seen. You gotta have somebody show you for it. Absolutely humbling. Galaxies we didn't know existed. Uh, so when we think we've seen everything, <laughs> we got to be smart about it. Looks like we're ready. Okay, I'm ready. Okay, she's talking to the men in the military about the web telescope and the photos from the web telescope. I'm glad she's excited by it, and it shows that she at least is interested in some of the exciting developments but the the awkwardness of uh, uh of talking to uh people in the military that she's meeting that way it it's it's one of the reasons that um uh Jimmy Fallon had a pretty clever line on the tonight show this is clip 2 
Because listen to this, a new poll shows that more Democrats are now saying they want Biden to run for re-election. And if he doesn't, Vice President Harris is their top choice. That poll uh, was conducted among two people, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. <laughs> Uh, and uh, that uh, basically sums up, I think, what a, a lot of uh, people believe. There's also controversy now about some statements by Bill Clinton. Um, he was attending a Georgetown University symposium in Washington honoring the late Madeleine Albright, who had been a guest on the show several times. Uh, this was last night when President Clinton made the comments. He was asked about how the U.S. should handle threats against democracy, to which he answered, by winning elections. Quote, you can't go around complaining that people are violating democratic norms when the voters are rewarding them for it, either by staying home or being distracted by last-minute scare tactics, Clinton said. I mean, we lost the last two weeks of the 2020 election on defund the police and socialism, and that was our fault, uh, Clinton added. We shouldn't let that happen. And I, I don't know what he is saying. He says, we lost Clinton the last two weeks of the 2020 election on defund the police. We shouldn't let that happen. Is he talking about they won the 2020 election, right? That's the story, at least. Then he said, and it's difficult for us to realize that we can't beat them with the same strategy they beat us with because we have a broader coalition. And the people in the middle, especially like suburban middle-class voters, upper-middle-class voters, they're easy to split because they've got something to lose, Clinton explained. So all they have to do is sit around and think about what will scare them with this election. Um, people talking about Joe Biden not being all together with it and uh, Bill Clinton who is a brilliant person whatever you think of his politics uh, not at the full top of his game uh, as he's speaking these days in this greatest nation on God's green earth